This is the Maverick Minister Deranged Bible Stories podcast series. Hi, I'm Mike Davis, and welcome to the Great Heroes of Israel collection of the Deranged Bible Stories podcast series. I'm your host for this and all of the episodes in the series. This episode continues the selected stories about some of the great heroes of ancient Israel and my deranged thoughts about what some of their spiritual experiences may have been like. Please be reminded that these stories in no way claim divine inspiration, nor do they seek to demean the writings in the Bible. I hope that you might enjoy and be enlightened by them. The Great Heroes of Israel Collection, Story Number 2 This story is based on Chapter 18 in the Hebrew Book of Genesis. In that chapter, Abraham, the great patriarch of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, and God enter into a pretty heated negotiation about the fate of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Here is my deranged thought. For the most part, we tend to understand God, at least in God's relationship with us and the created universe, as loving, compassionate, merciful, and forgiving. In addition, we also understand God to be just, fair, impartial, and decisive when it comes to the consequences for human behaviors and actions which are destructive to the human community and the created universe. So I have to wonder if God ever has to struggle with whether to be loving and merciful or just and decisive when it comes to responding to human misconduct and destructive behavior. Just how does God go about making the right decision? Does God have someone to talk to about this kind of stuff? Chapter 2 The Negotiation The Story of Sodom and Gomorrah Abraham and God were sitting around one afternoon, passing the time of day, when the Lord said to Abraham, I've had it. Sodom and Gomorrah have the worst, the most rotten, the cheapest, the tackiest, the least polite, the most obnoxious people I ever created. So Abraham, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to nuke them. Abraham thoughtfully sipped his drink and didn't say anything for a minute or two. Then he took a deep breath and said, Lord, do you really think nuking everybody is the best way to deal with this? Are you sure they're all rotten, cheap, tacky, and impolite? Suppose there are some good people in Sodom and Gomorrah. Just because they made bad real estate investments, do they really deserve to be vaporized? How about if you only nuke the rotten people and leave the rest alone? God looked perturbed for a moment and said, Why should I? Abraham replied, Why should I? God is asking, Why should I save people who tried to be good and kind and honest? God is asking, Why should I be merciful and compassionate? Oy vey, because you're God for crying out loud. Don't you know that God doesn't just nuke the good along with the rotten? All your publicity says that God wouldn't do something like that. In fact, Your publicity says God even gives the rotten the benefit of the doubt before going around and nuking. Ever since that flood business, you've kept a pretty low profile on destruction, and that has been very good for your image. You've got a good point. 
Inconsistency can damage your public image, I guess. So God, listen to me. How about this for a deal? If I can find 50 good people, you don't look anybody. That's consistent, even merciful, what do you say? God thought about it, and then God said, Okay, you find me 50 good ones and nobody cooks. So Abraham spoke again. Excuse me. This may seem a little pushy, but suppose I can only find 45. The no nuclear rule has to have a little room for variance, don't you think? Okay, okay. 45 will do. Do I hear 40? said Abraham. 40, said God. 35, said Abraham. All right, said God. 30, 25, 20, 10, said Abraham. 10, and that's it, said God. A very concerned look came over Abraham's face, and he said, So what if I can only find one good poison? Do you really think it's merciful to fry the one good guy with all the crummy ones? Come on, what kind of God would do that? God didn't answer, but then Abraham didn't give him very much time before he went on to say, Well, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. From the point of view of all of us down here, a kind, loving, merciful God just doesn't go around wiping out the good people with the bad people. I'm telling you already. If you nuke Sodom and Gomorrah and even one good person is turned extra crispy, then your image as a merciful God is shot. You've just got to understand that being merciful means you have to bend over backwards to see to it that the righteous don't suffer. Otherwise, people just won't take any of this good, loving God business seriously. God looked at Abraham for a long time, took a breath, and then said, Abe, I like you. I like you a lot. I want you and everybody else to know that I am merciful. I'm wonderfully patient. I am kind. And I have a terrific sense of humor. The fact that you aren't extra crispy right now is absolute proof of that. But let me tell you a little secret. There is one thing you don't do with God. Don't tell me how to be merciful. You weren't around when I even invented mercy. I know how to be merciful. If you want to be God and run things, then go create your own universe. Call it Abland or whatever you like. Only when you can do that will you have the right to decide what is just, merciful, good, and loving. In the meantime, stay out of my business. Whether you like it or understand it or not, I'm God and you're human. I made you and I know much better than you what is good, just, and merciful. What I do, I do. And what I don't do, I don't do. That's my image. It always has been, it is now, and it always will be. So don't push me too far, Abe. Am I making myself clear? Abraham swallowed hard and said, Clear? Sure, you're making yourself clear. You're saying, just go with the flow, let God handle everything and don't worry. You're being very clear. You're saying, don't be human. Well, let me tell you something. I am human, and you made me this way. So if you just wanted me to fall in line and accept everything that goes on around me, without questions, without making any creative suggestions, then you should have made me a rat or an aardvark or something other than a human. Yeah, you're God, all right. You are who you are. You do what you do. So if anybody is responsible for my human pushiness and creativity and desire to run the universe, you are. After all, you did it. You made us all in your image. And if you aren't willing to just let things go along without being involved in them, then why do you expect us to? You made us this way. 
And if you don't like it, you have no one to blame but yourself. So why don't you just nuke us all and get it over with? And God sat back in his chair and just looked at Abraham for a long time. Then God said, You know, sometimes I forget just how much like me I made you humans. Sometimes I forget why I made you the way I did. It was to be my hands and feet and voice in this far from perfect world. I hate to admit it, but you have a point, Abe. I did make you the way you are to be involved and creative in the world. But remember, you're human and I'm God. I can see far beyond what you can see. I can touch more of life than you will ever be able to touch. And I know much more than you about what is good and just and merciful. But thanks for reminding me why I made you. I guess even I need to hear it once in a while. By the way, I'm going to go ahead and look for your ten good people. And Abraham started to say, What about? But God interrupted. Abe, don't push it. Even God has limits. Quit while you're ahead. The deal is for ten. So what is the potentially helpful spiritual insight from this story? For me, it's about what justice, compassion, and mercy really mean, and where we're supposed to use them in our everyday lives. You see, in our culture, justice most often seems to be concerned with giving and getting what someone deserves based on his or her actions and behavior. That is, if a person does unkind and destructive things that disrupt and damage the human community, then justice requires that person to be dealt with in an unkind and destructive manner. That's fair, balanced, and good, according to the overall understanding of human justice. If, on the other hand, someone is kind, productive, and builds up the human community, then that person is to be dealt with in a kind and positive manner. That too is just, balanced, and fair. It's almost like mathematics. While there may be many complex formulas and theorems, if you can just do the numbers, you always know what's right. Mercy, on the other hand, is more of an art form. It's imprecise, it's messy, and requires some measure of creativity to understand how and when to use it. Mercy seems to be much more poetic than mathematical. It calls us to consider each case from the perspective of love, compassion, and possibility as we search for the right course of action. But even mercy has its limits. As the rest of this Bible story goes, after the negotiation between God and Abraham was over, God sent a couple of angels disguised as tourists to check out the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. They looked for the ten good people and only found four. The good people happened to be Abraham's nephew named Lot and his wife and two daughters. Everyone else was pretty rotten and actually, they were a lot worse than God had originally described them to Abraham. If you want the full account, Read Genesis chapter 19 in the Bible. So, Lot and his family left Sodom and Gomorrah in a hurry. And then, the sanctified nuking occurred. If we really think about it, there is something in most of us that wants God to have solved this issue of Sodom and Gomorrah's terrible people in a different way than by destroying them all. That's where compassion enters the discussion. 
Compassion looks at this story and every human conflict from an empathetic perspective and says, Oh, come on, is that the most loving thing that could have been done? How can you justify that? Compassion wants mercy for the innocent and the helpless, forgiveness for the worst of humanity, and hope for love to change the world. The problem is that as poetic as mercy and compassion may be, in our world they will inevitably collide with a level of genuine injustice and evil that just can't be rationalized into understanding and acceptance. As much as we hope and work to change this world into a loving one, it isn't there yet, and we don't have the power to get it there on our own. Our tender hearts are confronted far too often with the overwhelming brokenness that is all around us, and at those times we find ourselves at a complete and frustrating loss for what to do that will make it less broken. That's when we either throw up our hands in hopeless resignation, or when we begin to mix mercy with justice, which makes our decision about what is the right response to a seriously broken situation much more musical than it is mathematical. The music that comes from the joining of justice and mercy can sometimes be a beautiful, harmonious, and uplifting solution to the dilemma. And sometimes, in situations like the Sodom and Gomorrah story, that music can be harsh, dissonant, and disturbing. I guess the real insight in this story is the importance of remembering that even though we are all members of the orchestra or the chorus or the rock band that makes whatever music is needed to hold our broken world together, we're not the conductor. The conductor is the only one who knows how or why the music of justice and mercy should be harmonious sometimes and dissonant and disturbing at others. The best we can do is to pay close attention to the conductor and do our best to play the parts we have been given as well as we possibly can.